giving your body, it takes 30 minutes for your hormones to start to shift and let your brain know that food is coming. So eating more slowly. Sometimes I'll have someone have a glass of water before their meal, or maybe in between bites, have a glass of water and just think, how does my body feel? Like, did I eat enough? Am I getting full? And if you ate a plate of food and you want a second plate, wait 10 minutes. Like you said, I think that's a really great idea. If you're an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you're in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, me, Whitney Hines. Hi, and welcome to episode 12 of Runner Clicks, the Passionate Runner podcast. I am your host, Whitney Hines. I'm a lifelong runner, a certified running coach, and founder of the motherrunners.com, a resource for moms who run. And today's interview is with Amy Stevens, a sports and diabetes dietitian. And we are going to dive deep into running for weight loss. Amy is based in New York City. She has more than 20 years of experience and has been featured in the New York Times, Martha Stewart Living, and New York Post, to name a few. She's passionate about health and helping others find realistic solutions with the right real foods. Her expertise ranges from helping everyday people with diabetes create realistic and science-based eating strategies to elite professional athletes who are U.S. Olympic team contenders that approach food as part of their performance and recovery training. And no matter whether you are looking to increase your fitness potential, eat for a healthy pregnancy, or learn how to make healthier meals or improve lab work, Amy can help you find the best foods to achieve your goals. So running for weight loss is honestly a topic that I tend to steer clear of because running is so much more than losing weight, but so many people start running with that goal in mind and we want to set them up for success so that they become hooked on this healthy lifestyle of being a runner. And there are so many ways to do it wrong in which you end up gaining weight or you lose motivation or you get injured. So Amy's going to help you avoid all of that. I am very excited for you to hear my conversation with her after the short message from our sponsor, RunnerClick. If you are an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you are in the right place. RunnerClick presents The Passionate Runner with your host, Whitney Hines. Amy, I am so glad you were here on the podcast and seeing your face. We have corresponded so many times before about nutrition and healthy fueling for running. So thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I was really excited to uh, have this opportunity. So we were just chatting about how you've been doing this for a long time. So how long have you been a registered dietitian, specifically for athletes? So I've been a dietitian for 20 years. It's so weird to say that, but initially I started out working with diabetes patients in hospitals and an outpatient with an endocrinologist. And I learned a lot about metabolism. And then as I'm like into my thirties, I started running and exercising more and realized that there was this huge opportunity to 
get involved with athletes and have more specific personalized uh, nutrition in that area. And so I kind of transitioned like in my 30s to do more work with athletes. And more recently, uh, I started working with a professional running team. I was running training for a 50K, whereas, you know, you put a lot of time on your feet and you're running all the time. I saw a group of athletes running and I said, well, they definitely are concerned with nutrition. And I reached out to the coach, met with him and uh, Tommy Nohilly, and I started working with, at the time it was Hoka, New Jersey, New York track club. And now we're Empire Elite and I'm coached by Tommy Nohilly and John Troutman. And I'm really fortunate to be a part of that team. I've also gone to the Olympic trials with them last year in Eugene, which was an awesome experience. So really excited about that. And I can always talk about that a little bit later, but that's kind of how I got into nutrition. And now I run marathons, really sticking with the road. Uh, I have my own coach, which I've learned a lot from as well, coached by Kyle Merber, who is one of our athletes who retired. And so it's been a really awesome experience seeing those two, like performance and nutrition merge together. Yeah. So I would imagine once, you know, for you being a runner yourself, that really helps kind of illuminate the the fueling needs that somebody like you can speak about it, but until you actually live it and know what it feels like to feel depleted or bonk on a run, like it's hard to, to really advise someone adequately. Oh, absolutely. I've had all the negative experiences that are related to nutrition. So I've had firsthand experiences of bonking, bonking on a long run, uh, getting dehydrated, electrolyte imbalance, cramps, like everything. So I feel, and I've also had it work really, really well. So it's really awesome when that comes together. So I'm excited to share what I've learned and try and help your listeners with some tips maybe. Yeah, I want to get into the the tricky subject of trying to lose weight while fueling appropriately in a second. But before we do, I would love to hear about how your expertise has been able to help elite runners. Like, do you have any pretty game changing type stories? Any stories in particular? I think like during the trials, it was really awesome to utilize like meal timing. I thought that was really great. Like we can, you know, you study all this information and hydration and, and foods and how they get digested, but you really get to practice it when you have athletes. Like I work with mid distance athletes and they're running 800s, 1500s, and their races are two minutes long, <laughs> three minutes long. So there's not a lot of time to kind of mess up. And so you have to get it right the first time. And so meal timing, like getting in the foods the day before and really being strategic about when to fuel and what to eat. Like, so it can, that energy kind of is accessible when they hit the start line and they're not feeling hungry and they don't feel like they've overeaten. So it's really this fine balance of getting them to be focused on their race and not about what's going on in their gut or in their bodies. And how is that timing, how does it vary athlete to athlete? Because everybody's digestion, it's like a similar timetable, but some are slower than others, right? You know, not really. I mean, it's really about the food. I, yeah, I mean, there's some variability, but it's more important. Like you, there are calculations. Like I can kind of calculate how much somebody needs based on their weight, going back one hour, how many grams of carb they might need, or two hours, and seeing how many grams of carb they need based on their weight. But, you know, and I would take into account exercise, like what they'd done the day before. But usually, if it's a race, they're tapering. So there's not 
of exercise that's happening. And so it's more about just kind of getting in this range and then learning what works for that person and then repeating it over and over. And that's something I tell them a lot is figure out what works for you and do it over and over. No variability. Don't try different things every time. Just find out what works and stick with that. Yeah. Yeah. The, no, the number one advice before a race is don't try anything new or during a race, don't try anything new and train your gut ahead of time. Right. All of that is really important. I mean, I think with these types of athletes, they're traveling. So they're always in a different place. So it becomes a lot harder because you are, you, you want to eat the same way, but you're in a different place with different foods. So fortunately we had a house and it was exactly the way that they normally eat. And we we're able to provide those types of foods that they normally eat. So that's really important because that can really mess up a really important event or race. Oh yeah. That's, it's huge. I mean, if you can pack what you typically eat, that would be great. But obviously that would be tough to do when you're talking about the lunch the day before a marathon or whatever. Yeah. And we always found it so ironic that like they train so hard and then they travel for their most important events. So we're like, wait, we have to like mimic what you're doing back home, wherever your home is. So like, you know, it's just really interesting to, you know, kind of keep all of that in mind. And I, I'm always just reminding them, what do you normally do? Think of what works for you. And you know, the night before is also really important. Some of the athletes might eat too much or too little because they're nervous. You know, they're really nervous. So you have to just make sure that it's the right amount of food and the timing is good. So it's really focusing on a lot of these different things. But it also kind of spills over to amateur athletes. They're just as nervous. If you travel to Chicago to run the marathon that you trained four months for, you feel a lot of pressure on yourself. And you're in a different place and you just have to dial in the same nutrition that you have been doing. And you want to be with your friends and seeing all these friends that you haven't visited with, but it's like remembering how you normally eat. That is probably the most important advice I can give. Yeah. And I think lots of athletes will start second guessing themselves too. Like I traveled with my friend, she was running indie, and she started reading what Molly Seidel did and her like her Martin fueling the night before. And she's like, should I drink? Should I drink this mix? Should I do this the morning? I'm like, I would not do anything different. Like what you've been doing has been working for you. This is not the time to experiment. Right. And you're staying with your friends and you see all their foods and what they do. I For Philly, I was with a couple friends and we all put out all our foods and stuff in the room. And it's like, well, they're a great runner. Maybe I should do what they're doing. But you said, yeah, you, you can't get tempted. I have my own little goose that I have packed. I have to stick with my plan. And that's the one that works. Exactly. Uh, running running is all about staying in your lane, not worrying about what other people are doing. Just do what works best for you. Okay. So Amy, I want to talk about running for weight loss because it is a tricky subject. Why is it so tricky? Why is it so hard to do? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that you and I talked about earlier that makes it so tricky is that people go into this, like a lot of amateur runners will run to lose weight. And they think, well, once I start running, it's going to magically fall off. And that might happen for some people. And they might see that happen for some people. And they're probably seeing posts on Instagram or on other forms of social media of people who ran and lost tons and tons of weight. Well, so they think that, you know, it's going to happen to them. 
So I think people don't recognize that, you know, running not only is a lot of work, but it's not just about the running. It's about eating properly and fueling your body for the runs and being a little bit more strategic and mindful about your nutrition. So, you know, I think, you know, there's also a lot of, you know, diet culture tells us, well, if you're going to run, like, here's this great diet to follow. So maybe they're bringing in their paleo or their uh, diet plan that they had been following some restrictive type of plan, and they want to really see results quickly. So they start running and they find that their running performance isn't very good and they end up feeling even more frustrated and creates like a much more of a, an impact on their mental health. So I think it's like approaching it in a positive way where the running supports mental health as well as their actual health is probably a better way to look at it. And then the benefits will be maybe losing some weight along the way with their training. And there's healthy ways to do that without kind of expecting these results to be immediate. It's gradual. And I want to get into the healthy ways, but what about the people who are like, I don't care about my running performance. I just want to lose weight. Why is that dangerous? Oh, that's interesting. So if they're just going to exercise to lose weight, like, yeah, those people might be the ones following a type of like a low carb diet. And I've seen people and they're like, no, I only eat low carb. And now I want to run to get my weight down because my friends did that. Well, you know, the way the body works is you need carbohydrates for energy. So your body has to have carbohydrates and a good balance. So I think the people that might approach it as just weight loss expect quick results and they might also feel that if they're running, if maybe they hadn't been exercising and now they are and running hurts and they're like, well, I'm putting in all this effort, I could eat what I want. I could eat, you know, more food because I ran 10 miles. So now I can eat all the pizza I want because I ran so much. So it's a mix match of exercise effort versus calories in and recovery calories. So they'll end up binging later on, basically. You can call it a binge. It's just, you know, yeah, taking in too much food and, you know, that their body just doesn't need, they take it in excess. Yeah. I mean, I can say personally that, you know, I took a long break from running due to an injury and I was just getting back into it and I was like, man, I forgot how hungry running makes me. And I'm running like 30% of what I used to run and I'm still like just so ravenous and, you know, I'm, I'm still practicing smart fueling. It just, it just makes you hungrier. Your body's just working harder than it typically does when you're cross training or whatever. Well, you know, running as an exercise form definitely burns more calories than most other types of fitness. Swimming also burns a tremendous amount of calories, but running burns a lot because you're using your entire body and it's, you're carrying all of your weight on your legs and you're using your arms too. So it uses up a lot of energy. And so you do get hungry. So, I mean, there's ways to handle that though. And being smart and kind of knowing that, okay, I ran, you know, I usually give people plans. Like if you're running under an hour, you don't need to change that much in your diet. Maybe some carb at your lunch, or maybe if it's a morning run, maybe you add a little at your lunch and a little bit at your dinner or add a snack, like a fruit snack. So something very specific, like, so an hour or under, not much change like add a snack. But if you're going longer at one to two hour runs, you definitely need to refuel. So you have to pay closer to attention to how much carbs you're taking in and how much energy. So I would say a snack right after the run is really important because it kickstarts your recovery. 
And then maybe a little bit later on when you feel hungry, you know, listening to your body, you will feel hungry. So don't expect you're going to go all day and go to work and have like hours of work and not eat. You're going to get hungry probably within like three hours. You'll get hungry for a meal and then make sure you have a mixture of carbohydrates and proteins and vegetables and some fats, a balanced meal. It's not like you need to eat a bagel. You know, you really don't. As long as there's a mixture of nutrients, it should help keep you full too. And then kind of getting ahead of that hunger so you don't feel like you're going to have a binge. You know, it's like you know that you did a two-hour run. You're going to be really hungry. And everyone's different. Maybe someone gets really hungry at lunchtime if it's a morning run or maybe it's later in the day. So kind of get a sense of when that hunger peaks. Have that meal ready. Know what you're going to be having. Don't think you're just going to like kind of do errands all day and get busy with your family or get busy with your other activities. And then out of nowhere, the hunger comes and then it's out of control. And that's when people end up overeating, like the balanced meal. Now you're looking for burger. You're looking for something that is super filling because you waited too long. So the key, would you say the two main keys to running for weight loss are timing of your food to refuel, kickstart recovery, build those muscles, ward off the overeating, and then two, making sure you eat nutrient-dense foods. Absolutely. Mixture of foods. Yep. There's no one food that I would eliminate or have a lot of. A mixture is probably the best way to look at it. And really, that looks the same if you're, no matter what you're running and no matter what your body type is, right? I mean, it's the same two goals. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just because you're looking to lose weight, you still need carbohydrates. And I think that's where some of the misunderstanding comes in. And, you know, diet culture tells us carbs are bad. Well, some types of carbs might not be nutrient dense. You know, I don't say foods are good or bad. I think that leads to a lot of mental, like a lot of confusion. Foods are not good or bad. They are more nutritious and less nutritious. So most of your diet, you know, if you're trying to get your weight down, try to have more nutritious foods. And the less nutritious foods should make up a little bit less of your diet, like less than 10% of your diet. You're trying to keep track of what you're eating to make sure that you're fueling properly, but not eating too much. How do you walk that fine line between being mindful of it, but not being obsessive about it? And then obviously that can lead to disordered eating or eating disorders. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think people who come to me with like, you know, wanting specific diet plans and certain number of calories, you know, we have a discussion and after getting a thorough history and a thorough evaluation on their disordered eating history, if there is one, any medical issues, like all this, this information kind of creates a picture for me to know how much information this person needs um, and where to begin. So how do we create a diet plan that doesn't create obsessiveness or have obsessive measuring, because I don't think that's necessary for everyone. So most of the time I start with like a guide, like a sample meal plan of a guide, like how many ounces, but it's more like what types of foods to include, like lean proteins, healthy carbohydrates, like that have a lot of fiber and a lot of nutrients and a bunch and a mixture of vegetables with the meal. Because a lot of times people aren't even eating vegetables. So that's where we start. 
And I don't even have to talk about calories because they might be grazing all day too. So if someone's grazing all day, I don't need to tell them how many calories to eat at a meal. I just have to say eat a meal and it should include these components. And I go over those types of foods. So another way to say it is half of the plate is vegetable. So include vegetables at the meal, half of the plate, and then a quarter of the plate is a protein and then a quarter plate is a starch. So pretty basic. Look down at your plate. Do you have those different nutrients at your meal? If you don't, then how can we make that meal a little bit more nutrient dense? Because that's what your body needs. And that's where we start. Like, you know, you're running. What does your body need? It needs nutrients. So that's a good way to balance a plate or balance a meal without telling someone how many calories they need. Because I think that becomes really tedious. I mean, have you ever counted calories? No, I know for me, that's, that would not be healthy. Right. And I think most people, it's not healthy. And I had to do it in school and I've done it many different times just to kind of check in or see what that's like. And I, I think it's hard. So some people need that as a guide and I'm certainly happy to, to calculate that. And it's never easy unless you have like all the data to study composition. So it's really a guess anyway. So, but I think it's focusing on habits and what the plate should look like. Healthy habits are you eating meals or are you starting to eat at five o'clock and you keep eating until you go to bed? Like that's not going to help you lose weight. Is there a time in which you should stop eating? And I have a whoop and I know that I've noticed that if I eat a snack before bed, it tends to hurt my recovery. Is that true that if you eat, your body is not focusing on recovering and because it's digesting food if you eat before bed or? I mean, it depends. It depends on how much, you know, exercise you did that day. So, you know, and where you are with your energy intake. So I think ideally, and I've seen a lot of different studies and I've heard a lot of different uh, lectures on best way to build muscle and glycogen and it's eating often. And yeah, cutting it out like two hours before bedtime is ideal unless you're a professional athlete and you need that extra protein or maybe that extra snack at night to make sure you're getting the right amount of calories. Or if you're doing an early morning run and you typically don't eat early in the morning. That's another really great, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, you can't tolerate food early in the morning or you have a big workout. Yeah, absolutely. Have a snack at night, top off your glycogen stores. So when you get up in the morning, you don't need to eat or you can adjust. So what does a healthy plate look like? And just to confirm, again, this looks the same no matter if you don't care about weight loss or you are trying to lose weight. So like, you know, on the, you know, it depends like on an easy day, you know, recovery, less than an hour workout or less than an hour run, it would definitely be half of the plate is vegetables. Any kind of vegetable could be frozen or fresh, canned is okay, but half of the plate is vegetables. And then a quarter of the plate, which could be anywhere from like four to six ounces, um, depend, that's the average, four to six ounces of a lean protein. So like chicken or fish, tofu, eggs, those are all great proteins. And then a quarter of the plate is starch. So like a complex carb, which is like a bean, lentil, whole wheat pasta, could be pieces or two of whole grain toast, and then maybe some fats added to that like maybe two tablespoons of olive oil to saute the vegetables. This is something I talk about a lot is, you know, ways to kind of find ways to kind of make changes to your diet without it feeling like you're on a diet. 
So, yeah. So I think oil, that's why I kind of stopped on oil because that's something that we use. We think, well, it's all, so many times I hear, oh, olive oil is healthy and they use too much. That's such a common thing. And so even just paying attention when people become a little more mindful, automatically they start to see results. Okay. So I need to stop just dumping my olive oil in the pan. <laughs> that is totally what I do. I'm like, that looks like it's enough. <laughs> And olive oil is healthy. It is. But too much if you're trying for people that are trying to change their bodies and they get really frustrated because there's a lot of people that get frustrated because they're not seeing the results. I would look closely at how much olive oil they're using or how much fat. You know, a lot of times they'll say, well, I'm using coconut oil. It's so much healthier. Well, it is. But like, how much are you using? And those are very calorically dense foods that we think are healthy, but we're using too much. I call that too much of a good thing. Oh, yes. Yes. You can, everything in moderation. So what are some other examples of nutrient dense food that you really like and that your athletes tend to eat a lot of? Well, what I encourage them to eat (laughs) is things like, I really like quinoa. I think it's easy to make. And it has so many different nutrients in it in one food. It's got carb, it's got protein, it has some B vitamins, like it's such in fiber. I mean, it's such a great food and it's easy to make. Like I make it and oftentimes I'll forget that I'm making it and I overcook it and it doesn't change it and make it mushy. So I love that food and it stays for a few days in the fridge. So that's one of my favorites. But uh, sweet potatoes are great too. They're easy to make, easy to cook. And they can be like mashed and made in like so many different ways, roasted, pan fried, like, you know, super easy ways to cook that. So those are my favorites. And for proteins, I like chicken just because I think it's really easy and it provides a lot of iron. Um, Athletes, especially runners, need a lot of iron. So that's a really great food to get iron from. And I also like tofu and eggs just because they're easy. Everyone likes those, but you know, those are really easy foods to make and fish, of course, but it's harder to get good quality fish. So I think it's a little, it's harder for them to incorporate that. Although it was funny last night, I got a group text from a couple of the guys on the team and one of them is eating sardines and he loves sardines. Really? I know. And I said, it's like, you know, it's one of the most healthy foods for calcium and it's omega threes because it's a fish and no one really likes it except um, this one athlete. And so I said, well, how are you eating that? I hope you're having it like with a cracker, like or something. And he showed me he's putting it with this awesome quinoa mixture. I was so excited. Um, So that's a really great combo. And it's easy. I think, you know, these we need easy foods because everyone's tired, busy. We need to kind of have easy things. And then, yeah, and then any vegetable, anything. And I encourage people to get it cut up, buy it, you know, spend the extra dollar. If you have a hard time getting veggies in your diet, buy the Brussels sprouts already cut up. It'll save you so much time. And all you have to do is open the bag. The broccoli crowns, Whole Foods has a lot of cut up veggies. And, you know, locally here, there's some food delivery companies that will sell them already cut up. Definitely like the farmer's markets are awesome, but if you have to clean your spinach and it takes you a really long time and you never end up doing it, like that's not a great food to have then. What are your thoughts on nut butters? Like cashew, peanut, almond? 
I love them all. I think they're inexpensive, they're easy, and they taste good. So I think they're great foods. The one thing I would say about, the two things I would say about nut butters, if you're trying to lose weight, is that they have a lot of calories. So it's not like more is better. You know, I would say pairing a nut butter with a piece of fruit is great, like an apple and peanut butter, and just watching the amount, you know, maybe two tablespoons at a serving or at a time is appropriate. And, you know, looking at the label, what are the ingredients? It should just be the nut and salt. So how can you tell if you're fueling enough? What are some signs to look for? Because I I'm, I would have... I'm kind of assuming that, you know, a lot of people listening may want to, they obviously want to make sure that they're getting the nutrients that they need to perform well, but they don't want too much, but they may also not want to count calories or macros. So how can you tell what are signs that you are getting enough or signs that you are not getting enough? So, I mean, this is a great question. Like, you know, if you're changing your plate and you're trying to follow like a little bit more of a structured eating And the way to know that you're getting enough is that you have energy, you're completing workouts, and you feel good. And, you know, those are signs. Now, if you, you know, we could talk about the weight loss component next, but so that's to know that you are having enough. If you are not having enough food, you're going to feel irritable. You're going to feel very low energy. You might get headaches. And then the mental component of that is you're thinking about food all the time. So, Thinking about food all the time can mean that you're either hungry or maybe there's something else going on and there's some disordered eating patterns that need to be addressed in a different way. So the way to know that you're getting enough is like you feel good. And yeah, food is not on your mind all the time. You eat a meal and then you stop eating and you do other things. Okay. How do you know if you're eating too much without stepping on the scale? Or I mean- in addition to that, like you may be gaining weight, but it's water weight because you're eating more carbs to support your running, right? I mean, so how can you tell that way? Yeah, this is a really good question. So, you know, and there's not really a great, like the not a great answer. So <laughs> I think weighing yourself to gauge how well your body is is processing the foods and that you're burning fat, it would be like weighing yourself like maybe once a week or twice a week. More than that, you're going to just see major fluctuations with fluid shifts and carbohydrates, you know, eating carbs, a carb-rich meal, make you gain. And then that has more of a mental impact. And you're going to feel, you know, some people feel really bad if they see the scale changing in the direction they don't want. So we don't want that. We want to feel positive. So weighing yourself like once or twice a week, I think is really helpful. And then there is a really good way to approach weight loss that is in a healthy way. And I would recommend first that it's like over a long period of time, you know, not to expect major changes in a month. It could take six, eight weeks. And I would suggest reducing calories by about 300, 300 calories less a day, I think is really helpful. So that could just be maybe cutting out a snack if there's an extra snack that's happening or watching the amount of oils and watching the snacks, I think are a really good way to know if you're overeating. But, and like I said, weighing yourself twice a week and seeing what that number is showing. If your number keeps going up, despite you feeling like that you're having, you're, you're eating better, you're eating out less, you're drinking less alcohol and you're 
filling your diet with more nutrient dense foods, you know, I think working with a professional a registered dietitian can be really helpful. They can have an assessment and see, look a little bit more closely at what you're eating. And another thing just to kind of touch on appetite is, you know, I think we need less food, you know, than we think, you know, we need less food. So eating those portions, like following, like getting kind of a sample structured plan from a professional can be helpful and then see how your body feels. Are you feeling full after your meals? Are you stopping when you feel full? Are you eating foods when you're not hungry? Like take some, you check in with yourself. Like if you're eating extra snacks, are you feeling really hungry or are you bored? Are you eating for other reasons? Do you feel like everyone around you is eating so you should be eating? So there's a lot of other things to look at a little bit more closely. And like I said, another big thing is waiting too long and getting so hungry that you have to overeat. So looking at those types of behaviors. So it's not just about calories, but it's your behavior that has a much bigger impact to know that you're eating too much. And usually when I see people like for a follow-up after the initial session, they come in or we meet for the second visit and I say, well, how did this session go? Or how did this interval go? And they'll say, oh, I ate out every single night. I ate way too much. Like they know, people know if they're honest with themselves, they will know. Sometimes they don't and there's, it's, it's a little harder, but most of the time people know. And if they're, you know, then we are changing behavior. It's not just about, they know what to eat. I think most people do. It's about how to get there. Do you recommend to waiting like 10 minutes before you, like if you eat your meal and you think you're still hungry, giving your body some time to register that it has food in the stomach before you eat more. Cause I often do that with my kids. Like they'll eat and mommy, I'm still hungry. And I'm like, let's just, just wait before mommy prepares something else because your body doesn't know yet. Absolutely. Like <laughs> eat so fast in this country or in this culture, especially in New York. I mean, I see people walking down the street with pizza and they could eat two slices in no time. And people eat quickly. So giving your body, it takes 30 minutes for your hormones to start to shift and let your brain know that food is coming. So eating more slowly. Sometimes I'll have someone have a glass of water before their meal, or maybe in between bites, have a glass of water and just think, how does my body feel? Like, did I eat enough? Am I getting full? And if you ate a plate of food and you want a second plate wait 10 minutes. Like you said, I think that's a really great idea and repeat the same plate. Don't just have more carbohydrate or more of like the yummy food. Fill up again with a balanced plate. Is it possible that when you step on the scale after you begin running to gain weight, but it's actually muscle weight because your body composition is changing? Yeah. I mean, I haven't looked at the studies on how body comp changes during a marathon cycle for, for amateur athletes, but that makes a lot of sense. And your body is starting to starting to store. I mean, the whole point, it's called periodization. Like you go through a training cycle for a marathon and you start out, you know, at a low mileage and you get to a point where you peak in your mileage and then you start to taper. So when you're peaking and increasing, you're increasing your glycogen stores. Glycogen is your major fuel source that prevents you from hitting the wall and bonking. So you want to have a lot of glycogen and glycogen holds more water. So there's one reason is the glycogen stores. So it could be three grams of water per gram of, of glycogen. So there's one. And then the other is, yeah, you're building more muscle mass. So that can definitely increase your weight. But 
I think ultimately it evens out. And if you are expending more energy than you're taking in, you're going to use your fat. And that's why reducing the calories very gradually can help keep performance up and use fat for energy in between your training sessions. So you mentioned 300 calories. So that is a safe range for most people, no matter how much they're running or how the, how does do those two numbers interplay? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a, a reasonable amount. I mean, it could be a little more if someone is starting at a much higher weight, they can, you know, definitely go to like 500 calories, but I wouldn't recommend reducing much more than that because then it starts to impact the glycogen process. Like you want to store this glycogen. And if you do not take in enough calories, you're going to use that for energy. And that is not what you want to be doing during the day. You want your body to store that and then use fat for energy in between your training sessions. So if you have how much weight to lose, like let's say 10 pounds that you want to lose, you would recommend starting with 300 calories, cutting 300 calories when you begin running with your marathon cycle and see how that feels? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and you want to just make sure that you're getting in all the nutrients your body needs. So you need to, you know, I would increase the protein. That can also be really helpful. Studies have supported higher protein diets and maybe cutting back a little bit on the fat to help with and keeping the carbs pretty consistent to help with lose weight along the way. So if you're cutting back on fat, that means the pizza does not fit in. The burger and fries does not fit in if you're trying to get your weight down, nor does eating out and having sauteed vegetables at a restaurant. I mean, there's so much oil. So again, that's a situation where you think you're making a good choice, but there's so much extra fat. Or another thing I see is people do great during the week. And on the weekends, it's like they go out and it's much harder to regulate their food. So it's like you're teasing your body. You're restricting during the week and then you are eating too much on the weekend. So your body always wants to hold on to those calories. That's how we're designed. And so if you kind of tease it, it's going to make it harder. Be consistent. Monday needs to look as similar to Saturday as possible. Even if you do your long run on Saturday? Well, more food, but yeah. nutrient dense, higher carb, nutrient dense though. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So can you lay out what timing would look like and how many meals and snacks someone should eat? Yeah. So like on a workout day, so maybe a snack before, depending on when you're going out. So like a small breakfast that has carbs and then you do your run or your workout. Like an hour later, you do your run or workout? Yeah, hour later. And then you come back and you have something small, like a piece of fruit or a piece of toast right away. Maybe toast with like a little bit of honey just to kind of kickstart recovery but it's a small or half a granola bar even right after. Then you shower, you get ready, you go to work. And when you get hungry, you can have a breakfast. So maybe another hour later or so. So either have it at your home or if you're going to work, then you have it at your office. You don't need to eat because you're not hungry. Like a lot of times people don't feel hunger, you know, for an hour or two after a workout because their body is still in, in, in exercise mode. So it's like, you know, so then you you don't feel like, okay, I finished this workout. I don't feel hungry, but let me stuff down all this food because I need to get out the door. Or worse is like skipping all that food, going to work. You get really busy 
And then all of a sudden it's like one o'clock and you are famished. Not only have you lost out on an opportunity to build up more muscle and get your recovery going, but you're so hungry that you will eat anything that is near you and quick, oftentimes not the best choices. Yeah, absolutely. And so then, but what about the rest of the day? Dinner, do you need a afternoon snack? I think if you're working out in the morning, you're going to get hungry. Like most people get hungry like six to eight hours after a workout or even, you know, depend. everyone's different, but that's like an average. So like six hours, let's say. So you eat a snack right after, then you eat your breakfast, and then you have a lunch and then a snack in the afternoon, something nutrient dense. Maybe if it's, if it's a female, I would really encourage a calcium food. So a yogurt is super easy to throw in the bag. Like any kind of yogurt, if you're dairy free, there's definitely options for that. But have a calcium at that time, have a calcium rich food. I think of it like how to get in the nutrients. So like, yeah, the afternoon could be like even a little bit of a yogurt with granola would be great. And we're talking about a tablespoon or two. I say it's like a topping. It's not a bowl of granola with a dollop of like yogurt. I'm going to have to overhaul my diet after talking to you because I'm the one that dumps the granola into the yogurt as well. I'm a dumper. The dumping is great if you need that if you need that fuel at that time. It, you know, it's again, it's like if you're trying to get your weight down, you can't dump. You can do like a little bit and see how your body feels. If you're still hungry, then maybe do like a piece of fruit with that. Something else that's nutrient dense. And then dinner would be something balanced. It's not like that thought of, okay, I ran. So I'm going to order in like, you know, a lot of rich food. Like I, I'm rewarding myself with this incredible meal and tons of food. And I'm going to feel really full. You know, it's, that's not going to help you get your weight down. You want to eat enough that your body needs, but not getting over full. I also have people like, I think this is helpful maybe to hear, keep a satiety scale where like, and we give it a number. One is like, you are starving. 10 is you're super, super stuffed. So before a meal, I encourage people to be like a three or a four, like you need to be hungry. And then after you eat should be like a seven or an eight, like are you feeling a one before you eat because you're so hungry? And then you get to a 10 right after because you ate so much. Like, maybe we need to talk about that. Like, why is that happening? Yeah, most likely because you're not eating enough. I mean, not eating frequently enough, I should say. Right. So if we even that out, then you can use less food and you don't get so hungry. Because when you're really hungry, salad does not seem satisfying or appealing. No. If you're starving, like you need something a lot more satiating, a big burrito or like something else that's big. Yeah. (laughs) You're starving. And that makes a total sense. But if you have a snack before that, maybe you don't need to be as hungry. And it could be anything. I carry food with me all the time. There's always a bar in my bag or something. And I'll bring it to the track and give it to the, the, the athletes because you're you're working really hard and you're doing all these runs. So you need to kind of start recovery and you know that you're going to be hungry. It's kind of like, think of what you're doing the next four hours of your day and like plan for that, like fuel for that. Is there a bar or protein bar that you like? You know, I've been just doing cliff bars because they have a good breakdown of carbs and protein. It's pretty good. I think it's like a four to one, which is totally decent and they're easy to get. So I like them for that reason. And they, I like the ingredients. So I like Cliff on running days for protein bars. 
the balance bars are pretty good. And yeah, I mean, a yogurt actually is a lot better than any for purchase. Yeah, there's a lot of great options for low sugar yogurts now, I've noticed. They're much easier to find. Oh, absolutely. There's options for everything, dairy-free, you know, all different, so many different versions. But I, I think for yogurts, I mean, plain low-fat yogurt is one of the best foods a runner should have in their diet, especially if there's history of any kind of injury, like a stress injury, stress fracture. So you've talked a little bit about how you're not a fan of keto. Keto and running don't go well together. What are your thoughts on intermittent fasting? Because that's still a really hot, I mean, I want to say, I know it's like maybe called a lifestyle, but diet trend, really. Absolutely. And, you know, actually one thing about keto. So yeah, keto, I think in general is not going to help you win a marathon or, or perform like BQ for a marathon, I think you're not going to have enough energy to do that. It'll be hard. But for trail running and long distance and ultra running, it actually has some benefits. So if you're running slow and steady for long periods, you can do a keto type of diet. So just to make sure that's okay. Yeah. So I do believe that that is possible. It's hard to follow. And then you can't have, you know, the ingredients and in all those keto foods are not amazing, but it's possible and it works for a lot of people. Yeah, there are a lot of ultra runners who do it and they do well. Absolutely. And, you know, it's even better if someone's helping you prep those foods and it's a lot of avocados. <laughs> so let's see. So you asked about, yeah, intermittent fasting. You know, there's so much research on that for medical issues, like people with diabetes or people with like other kind of metabolic issues. I think, you know, I have definitely encouraged the 16-8 intermittent fast. I think that has benefits for some people. But again, it's around your training. Like, when are you running? If you're going to run and then get really hungry and fast, and then be thinking about food, is that really healthy for you? I mean, I think, you know, from my experience, it's kind of like a dam that gets built up. And if you're thinking about food, it's just going to get more and more and more. And then ultimately, it might lead to a binge. So I think that's a concern that I have with intermittent fasting. But I think for in terms of performance, I think it depends on when you're at running. I mean, if you're not eating a lot and you're, you're showing up to the track workout starving, I think you're going to have a different kind of session and you're not going to, it's going to be much harder to do like, you know, 10, 800s or something than it would be if you had a snack beforehand. So, you know, that's just how our bodies process energy. It's just going to be a lot harder. But for weight loss, I think it really depends on what your meal patterns are like. If you're not eating all day and typically you're just starting to eat after work and eating a large quantity of your food at the end of the day, like, of course, that diet's going to work or that type of eating plan because it's telling you not to do that. And it's going against what your body needs. You know, you need to eat more when your body's moving. And that's what the intermittent fasting can kind of help you with. So I think it can help if you're eating too much at night, especially. If you're eating too much at night. So you've recommended, so it's 16 hours of fasting, Correct. eight hours of eating. And have you recommended that for runners or for people just strictly trying to lose weight? No, not runners. Just people trying to lose weight or if they have like a pre-diabetes situation, a young person with pre-diabetes, like we want to try something like that versus going on medication. But usually it's, you know, we have to address some other issues. Like why are you ignoring your hunger during the day? What's going on that you're not eating anything during the day and that you're eating 
so much food at night. Like, why is that happening? Ah, the psychological aspect. I mean, psychology is such a big component of eating. And, you know, it's kind of the, the, it kind of initiates all of our eating in our culture because food is plentiful. It's not like we, you know, are starving and trying to find food. There's so much of it. So it's like we're using it for ways that maybe are not just for nourishment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Amy, thank you so much for sharing all of your insights. I would love to know what keeps you passionate about running. What keeps me passionate about running? Wow. I think um, I think it's like as every as more nutrition information comes out and we're able to kind of experiment with different things like meal timings and learn. Can we stop? I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to catch you off guard. Amy, I would love to know what is it about running that you love so much? Oh, there's so many things about running that I love. I think the one thing that stands out to me is the running community. I think the people that I've come across awesome. And it's like this subculture of people because my friends that don't run have no idea. They think I'm totally crazy. But if you're a runner... (laughs) You're normal and they and they support your waking up at five in the morning to get a run in before you have to do other things in the day or that you're eating, you know, quinoa or rice and beans before like for a dinner and enjoying it. So I think it's the community is amazing for my I, I ran Philadelphia and I had two friends that I was running with and they decided to go and pace me for a marathon. That's great. I don't know anyone. Who would spend an entire Saturday like running along with someone like as a fun thing to do, <laughs> like running an entire marathon. That's awesome. So it was an incredible experience and I really, the clubs are amazing. And so I think that's, you know, and I just love working with all different types of runners from beginner runners to people who've been doing it for so long, elites or people that are just looking to, you know, drop their weight or be healthy. Like, I think those are such great reasons. All of them are great reasons to run. And so I love to be a part of it and seeing people improve. Are you training for a marathon? Do you have your eyes on your next one? Because you PR'd, right, at Philly? I did. That was really fun. So yeah, I've been, you know, working with a coach. I never had a coach before. And I think it's probably one of the best things I've ever done. I wish I did it a long time ago. It's one way to stay healthy. I mean, I looking back, like I did crazy things, you know, run an ultra and then think, well, I could just run a marathon the next week, you know, I'm in shape. Oh my goodness. Did you do that? Oh no. (laughs) And so now I realize a higher quality training. So I'm training for the Brooklyn half, which is in May. And I'm really excited about that. Oh, I bet that's a beautiful race. Yeah, it's great. You start um, in Prospect Park and you go down um, out to uh, Coney Island and on the boardwalk. It's really cool. Oh, I bet that's awesome. Have you done it before? I have. I did it a couple times. Yeah, it's really neat. It's a great race. Really great. Well, I will be cheering from you or for you from Tennessee and I'll be looking to see how you do. I'm sure you'll do great. Thanks. All right, Amy, thank you so much for your time and we'll have to have you back on because there's so much we can talk about in the whole realm of nutrition and running. Sounds great. Great talking to you. Great to see you too, Whitney. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Amy. And thank you all for listening to The Passionate Runner. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways and quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at runnerclick.com slash podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. 
And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash thepassionaterunner. We will be sure to read these out on future episodes. See you next time.